This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is Ringgit and Sense. Recently, the Malaysian Prime Minister announced that there will be new initiatives to attract family officers to open in this country, which, led, which then led to questions as to what do they do? What role do they play in the world of investments and finance? Since family officers aren't the norm here, for answers, we speak to Carrie Ng. She is the head of Family Office Advisory at the Bank of Singapore. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning, Carrie. Now, um, I mean, what what is the Family Office and how does it work? Give us a one hundred and one, please. Hi, Shani. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, I'm Carrie, and I head the Family Office Advisory in Singapore. Our team here really focuses on exploring with clients or their intention to set up Family Office, whether in Singapore or other parts of the world, and journey with them through the setup. So family office is a professionalized private investment and wealth management entities designed to oversee the day-to-day administrations and management of a family's financial and non-financial affair. There are two common types of family offices, single and multi-family office. Single family offices are dedicated to managing the assets for a single family. Multi-family offices, as the name says, mm-hmm. serve two or more families. So both family offices have the common purpose to effectively grow and pre- uh, transfer wealth across generations. Okay, so what are the most common services provided by a family's, family office excuse me, to their clients in Asia? Um, for the multi-family offices, we call it an MFO. They offer a comprehensive slate of services um, for their clients, such as investment advisory, tax, financial and estate planning, property management, family governance, philanthropy, concierge services, and so on. Single-family officers, in short SFO, um, on the other hand, provide a more customized suite of services tailored to each family's um, unique circumstances and needs. For example, a single-family office that serves a younger family may focus more on the investment management and will not require other um, services, other supports. A family office that serves um, three to four generations of a family might need um, their family office to provide a more complete offerings mm. to serve the family offices who might be at different life stages. So each single family office is unique on its own. So you can't generalize things, right? And every family will have their own requirements. Yes. And how big are these right. family offices in terms of size? And I'm curious, uh, are they just centralized in one country or perhaps maybe you can have a Family office in Singapore and another one in Zurich. How does it work? So it really depends on the family, right? What is their um, investable asset size? How many generations of the family you know, does the family offices serve? So generally, the family office is central- centralized in one country, either where the family is based or where the services are required to be rendered. Mm. Um, due to the generational of wealth, it is not uncommon to see European Western families set up a separate um, family office branch in Asia to tap into the um, Asia-Pacific investments. Okay, and do ultra-high net worth, I presume, because um, our clients in Asia have the same needs as, let's say, a client from from US or Germany, and if not, what are, what are the differences? So while wealthy families across the globe do have the common needs, and face the same challenges, 
there are a number of key differences. Mm. I think first is really culture, right? Culture plays a significant role in shaping the needs and priorities of wealthy individuals. Um, Asian families may have a different focus when it comes to intergenerational wealth transfer and family's legacy. In many Asian cultures, the concept of family and extended family is highly valued. Where, um, wealthy fat clients in Asia may focus on supporting family members financially, um, funding education, or participating in family affairs. Um, and each country, uh, no, it doesn't matter in Asia or in Western, they will have their own sets of regulations and tests of frameworks that can influence the financial needs and structure of wealthy clients. Okay, which begs the question: Where, how, what, what goes into the mind of a, a ultra high net worth individual when he wants to set up a family office in terms of jurisdiction? Because Singapore is a, definitely one of the largest hubs in Asia. Like, what's the reason why Singapore is chosen? I, I would think that there are many considerations. You know, family think about when they choose a consideration, a jurisdictions of choice to set up their family office. It depends on the family's priorities and what they feel important, um, you know, to them based mm. on their circumstances. Uh, importantly, the jurisdiction itself should be uh, politically uh, stable um, and has a robust regulatory framework. Um, it must have a strong local wealth management ecosystem and an established uh, financial service industry. The tax regime in the region, you know, should be competitive. Right, mm. and the benefit of managing the investments from the jurisdictions um, should outweigh the cost of setting up and uh, its ongoing expenses. So, other secondary considerations might be, you know, the attractiveness of the jurisdiction, such as safety, quality of the education system, healthcare system, living standard, lifestyle, etc. Okay. So, you 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 mentioned about Singapore, right? Yes. Which 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 you know which um which has increasingly become the jurisdictions of choice for established um, family office. Um, as of end 2022, Singapore has set up um, 1,100 single family offices as compared to 200 in 2019. Mm. Um, I would think it really attributes to Singapore having a pro-business, you know, business-friendly kind of environment, politically-wise quite stable, <laughs> and a robust legal and um, judicial uh, framework. Um, Singapore is one of the world's top financial hubs and it is strategically located as a gateway to Asia. So it offers an attractive asset management locations for investors who want to invest in Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, a good thing about Singapore is that the government has been um, highly supportive of the country's role as a wealth management hub. The government has put in a lot of efforts to groom and attract um, strong talents pool in financial, legal and accounting practices combined with a strong network of financial institutions. Mm. I think last but not least is really, you know, Singapore um, offering a competitive tax regime and um, regulatory framework that is attractive for investors to manage their funds out from Singapore. So subject to conditions met, you know, and approval granted from our MA, you know, granted um, by our MAS, specific income from designated investment can be tax exempt in Singapore. Okay, and what's the must-have if you want to start a family office? I mean, how are they usually structured? You mean the structure of the um, family, family office? office yeah. how, um, what are some of the basic uh, foundations? I mean, like, 
in a family office, they must have, is it a compliance officer? Is there an investment officer, back room? You know, how does it work? Is it like an asset management company? Yeah, so I guess, you know, um, it's really first what is a family office, right? So typically family office is set up as a privately held operating company, right? right? And the shareholders are typically the family members if you are talking about single family office. We commonly see clients setting up uh, two different vehicles. One vehicle is to set up to function as the family office that provides the service to the second entity, which is the investment holding uh. vehicle that purely holds the assets. So a single family office can provide services to many different investment holding a vehicle and this can be held by the same families. Okay, and what is the, the cost structure for a family office? I mean, if I'm ultra high net worth, I would be one, th- if let's say I was curious and I was thinking, hmm, this is for me, how much would it cost? Is there a ballpark figure? Mm, it really depends on what's being agreed. Commonly, we see a management fee paid based on a cost plus basis or a percentage of the AUM. And obviously, you know, the services that's being rendered um, come in as well, whether these are out-of-pocket expenses. On Ring and Sense, we are speaking to Carrie Ng, Head of Family Office Advisory Bank of Singapore. After the break, are family offices an ideal vehicle to maintain intergenerational wealth? BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Ringgit and Sense, where we're speaking to Carrie Ng, Head of Family Office Advisory at the Bank of Singapore. Before the break, what is a family office and what is the role they play? Now, Carrie, I'm sure when it comes to family offices, there are partners that are used, right, for investments, tax matters, legal issues and the like. So really, how does a family office select the right partners and do clients have a say in that selection? Yeah, clients definitely definitely have a say in the selections as they are the one that's contracting the services from mm-hmm. the service providers. So in choosing external partners, families should choose service providers who are not only capable, right, and are able to deliver sound solutions, but also those that really understand the families and their dynamics. It is important that the choice of service providers takes into considerations of the family's value and their current and future priorities. Is the family in the midst of a generational change? What activity will the family office be responsible for? How much control does a family want to retain over their personal assets? And of course, right, budget matters. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Which then begs begs the next question. Okay, at what point does the family office start making sense? I mean, you know, what kind of net worth should a family or individual have to start thinking about setting up a family office in the first place? Um, Families should have between uh, US 50 million and US 100 million of net investable assets you know, before starting to think about setting up a proper family office. Okay, so that allows you to have some, I mean, in a way, then pays off all the costs, right? And then it's still a net benefit. It must be able to be a sensible asset to churn up enough income to pay off the uh, cost of the uh, management costs. Okay, and I would presume, right, intergenerational wealth is probably one of the biggest priorities for clients, especially Asia, because you say that's one of the cultural things that we are considering now. So I want to look at it from two perspectives. Um, how does a family with multiple businesses and assets across borders ensure continuity? And what is the family's office role in managing such complex arrangements? Managing the family's wealth 
and integral part of the family office's uh, responsibilities. It helps families to formulate long-term strategies which are aligned with the family's values and objectives. A family office establishes and maintains governance and structures to facilitate decision-making processes, define roles and responsibilities, and set up mechanisms to promote transparency and accountability within the family and across the different business units. It fosters open communications and facilitates uh, family meetings to ensure that all family members are informed and involved in decision-making processes. Um, operating businesses across the borders involves navigating complex legal and re regulatory frameworks. The family office can be the centralized team to co coordinate the legal and compliance uh, matters, including um, cross-border international tax planning, regulatory compliance, and other um, cross-border transitional support to ensure the family business operates within the bounds of the law. Okay, and what's interesting is starting that conversation for forcing that conversation to happen, right? Um, the other thing is, how does the family office then work with the children? You know, be it the second, third, sometimes even fourth generation of these ultra high net worth families to ensure that inherited wealth is responsibly managed. I think this is one of the key issues that is, you know, faced by a lot of our wealthy clients, right? Leaving a huge amount of assets to the next generations mm. uh, without any proper planning, you know, actually make Or even conversation. And good. Yeah. yeah. Having that conversation, you know, tough conversations, you know, you know, it's not that easy. So it's always good um, to bring, um, to have a centralized team, right? To engage and groom the next generations. And I think that's where the family office can come into place. Uh, for example, you know, if you want to start engaging and grooming the next generation at a younger age, the family can involve them, you know, um, in the family's philanthropy discussions and activities to instill a sense of empathy with them, right? And, and as they grow older, the next generation can be more involved in the operational of the family office. They can work as an intern or a full-point employees in the family office to start learning the ropes of financial management while also learning how to be self-reliant financially. Um, if the wealth creator is afraid, you know, of giving the lump sum of assets to the next generations, they can consider setting up a trust to hold the assets while the family office can be the one managing it. The settler can put milestones in place over a set period um, of time to release um, assets to the next generations on a phase basis, such as um, at a specific age or life, events like graduation, mm. marriage, rather than all at once. And Carrie, um, what's the biggest challenge facing family offices in delivering solutions to clients? Because I'm, I'm sure clients will say, I want 10% return this year, but of course the economy is not doing well and all the markets are down. Then how do you manage that? I guess, you know, family office, um, you know, market up, up and down is not something that, you know, um, they can really control, right? Yes. You know, we don't have a crystal ball beside us. But, you know, I think there are three biggest challenges that are faced by family office, you know, just by, you know, being that manager, right? The first challenge is increased compliance and reporting requirement. Um, this is commonly faced by family office that manages assets for families in global jurisdictions. The type of assets invested by these um, families are getting more diversified and complex and the investment may spend across um, multiple jurisdictions. So this adds complexity to the structure and increased compliance and reporting, particularly for family shareholders that are in different jurisdictions. Mm. The second key challenge is technology and cyber risk security. You know, keeping 
personal data safe and secure is important. And many families seem insufficiently aware of the cybersecurity vulnerabilities created by accessing unsecured network, clicking the link sent by unknown senders, and missing of corporate data with uh, private and confidential financial data. So this put the family's asset and possibly reputation at risk when there's any data leakage. Um, the last biggest challenge is talent retentions. Family offices are unique and unusual in that, you know, they take care of the family's private affairs and they tend to operate in a small, private, less structured kind of setup. Mm, very niche. So it's often, yeah, and it's often difficult to find uh, potential employees with the required expertise and who really understand the unique environment in which the family offices operate. So it's always important for family offices to recruit people they really trust. But we know Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Building trust takes time. And uh, related to this, is it seems like family offices increasingly will need expertise in a growing number of disciplines, right? As the scope of services grows wider, uh, clients' demands increase. You know, how do you think family offices will actually evolve as client demands also change in time? As families become more sophisticated and start seeking for a more holistic um, service offering, the services provided by the family office will need to be expanded accordingly to meet the growing demands. First, right, the professional working in the family office needs to constantly upskill themselves to better serve the family. But we know that, you know, in practice, it might not be that practical, yes. particularly from a cost perspective. So we do see like family officers will collaborate even more with the other service providers in the ecosystem to complement each other service offering. And uh, finally, Terry, you know, Malaysia, we want to in- to encourage a family office industry. So what kind of benefits would it would we have actually if we did so? What are the, the multiplier effects for, for a country like Malaysia where family offices are still very in their nascent stage? Mm. Family offices, you know, increases the uh, increase the asset under management of, of these countries, right? Whether in Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, London, and it contributes to the vibrancy of the local financial um, services ecosystem. This will create more jobs in related sectors such as private banking, legal and tax advisory, estate planning, and other professional services. Uh, for example, you know, the family office may directly employ advisors and investment professionals or uh, indirectly work with the um, external uh, pro- uh, professionals in the ecosystem um, to, to help with their operational well-planning and other matters. Uh, in addition, um, you know, family offices coming to a region can help expand the pool of long-term investment um, for startups and business ventures and the funds that invest in such companies. So more startups will come to the region for fundraising purpose. So this benefit, not the one, not only the one that needs the capital, but also the one that contribute the capital. And this company may also benefit from the, guide, um, the guidance offered by the principals of this family office, many of whom are very successful business owners. On that note, thank you for your time. On the on uh, Ring It Incense this morning was Carrie Ng, Head of Family Office Advisory at the Bank of Singapore. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. Ring It Incense on BFM 89.9, the business station. This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.